Our text for tonight is out of the book of Zechariah, chapter 1. This is the second part of chapter 1. It really has nothing to do with the first part, uh, so it's a two-parter, but again, it's really not two parts, two different sermons. Out of Zechariah, chapter 1, this one titled, Craftsman. And so it picks up in verse 7. On the 24th day of the 11th month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. So it's a few months after the first vision, that was the first part. Why they didn't put a chapter division there, I don't know. But it's two distinctly different visions, uh, maybe because the only one was only seven verses, I don't know, but, uh, or six verses. And so we pick up, we start here, uh, again, a few months after his first vision, second year of King Darius. And I saw by night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse, and it stood among the myrtle trees in the hollow, and behind him were horses, red, sorrel, and white. Now that picture is not exactly right, because it doesn't mention a black horse, but that was the closest I could get. Uh, so there, according to what the text says, there were two red horses, one the guy, a man, riding on this red horse in the front, and then horses behind him. Uh, and it mentions three different colors, it doesn't necessarily say it was only three horses but three different colors of horses, um, red, sorrel, and white. I'm not exactly what sorrel is, but uh, anyway, they got these uh, different colors of horses and a man riding on this red horse. Uh, and some commentators believe this man was the son of man, the Messiah, and we'll see here in a few verses why that is believed that. Okay, verse 9, I said, My Lord, what are these? So the angel who talked with me said, I will show you what they are. The man who stood among the myrtle trees answered, These are the ones whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro throughout the earth. So there's five different entities here. Let's look at them. I, that's Zechariah, said, My Lord, lowercase Lord, so just kind of like Sir, Mr., Master, but lower, lowercase. What are these? These being the horses, right? So that's three already. So the angel who talked with me, the angel being the Lord, the lowercase Lord that he is uh, referring to, I, uh, said to me, I will show you what they are, and the they there again, the horses. So again, still we have Zechariah, this angel who's standing next to him, and the horses. Verse 10. The man who stood among the myrtle trees answered, so now we have this man, the one who was riding on this uh, red horse in the front. It says now he stood, so maybe his horse is stood, maybe his horse is standing, maybe his horse is stationary, and that's why he said he stood, but, or he got off the horse and he's standing next to it, I'm not sure, but it says that man, so we have now this man, uh, stood among the myrtle trees, answered, these are the ones whom the Lord Full case Lord, yod hey vav hey Lord. And so we have now the Lord, the Lord God, right? Uh, the Heavenly Father, here mentioned as well, has sent me to walk to and fro throughout the earth. Sent, uh, has sent to walk to and fro throughout the earth. So those are the five different entities. Zechariah, the angel standing next to him, the man on the red horse, uh, the other horses, and the Lord God Almighty. Now, and we'll that be important to understand as we continue on. Uh, but they walk to and fro. These horses, the purpose of these horses is to go walking to and fro throughout the earth. In the book of Job, it says that the devil says that about himself. God asks him, where have you been? Oh, I can go to and fro throughout the earth. In other words, I have dominion everywhere. I can go anywhere I want. No restrictions on my travel. I can go. I am free. I am the boss. I am 
able to rule over this whole area. So here God is saying, well, not quite. I've got three, at least three different colors of horses, maybe multitude of horses, but three different colors of horses. So at least three horses who are also going to and fro throughout the earth. And maybe the man on the red horse in the beginning is also going to and fro throughout the earth. So God has his, while the devil is trying to cause disruption, the devil is trying to cause problems in this world, God is there as well. God sees everything. God is on the march. God does put his limits upon what Satan can do. And in context of where Zechariah is, the people had come back out of Babylon. Some of them came back out of Babylon under Cyrus's decree, started rebuilding the temple. And there were some oppositions from the, uh, the neighbors and they got the, the, the king after Cyrus to, to stop the building. And now they've been able to start restarting again under Darius. And yet there's still some fears. Is the king going to change his mind again? Is there going to be opposition from our neighbors again? Uh, should we be doing this? Should we be building our own homes? Uh, you know, and so there's fear. And so God is giving assurance. I've got messengers going to out the earth, to and fro. And sometimes there's uncertainties in our lives. Sometimes the devil is working all around the clock, all around the world, to try and disrupt things and trying to disrupt our lives. But God is in your life as well. God is watching over you. He's got messengers. He's got horses. He's got beings that he has sent to go around the earth and to keep track on what's happening. And so we're never alone. We're never forsaken. We're never forgotten. God has his connection. Sometimes we feel alone. Sometimes we feel left out. Sometimes we feel like it's all just coming down on me. But God is there. Whether we see him or not, whether we realize it or not, he is present among us. In either personal form or in his horses, messengers, whatever he's sending forth to watch over the affairs of this world and to keep track of it, and to send him continual messages back of what's going on, what's taking place. God is in control. Might not seem like it at times. Might like seem like things are out of control. Things are falling apart. Things are tumbling away. But God is in control. He is at work. And they answered the angel of the Lord, who stood among the myrtle trees and said, we have walked to and fro throughout the earth and behold, all the earth is resting quietly. Everything's at peace. Don't worry. They're not stirring up to try and get the king to stop at this time. Everything's at peace. Everything's all right. We've gone in behind the scenes. We've got our listening ears there and everything's okay. It's at peace, peace and quiet. You don't have to be worried. You don't have to be afraid. No disruptions. It's going to stop your work from taking place. And nothing's going to stop God's work from taking place. We could slow it down by our choices and by our actions, but God's work is eventually going to finish up just as he promised it would. God's going to get this gospel to the whole world. Messiah is going to come. He's going to usher in everlasting righteousness. There might be some delays. God's going to bring it to pass. And so here in this verse, verse 11, it said, they answered the angel of the Lord who stood among the myrtle trees. 
So in the verse prior to this, it said the man who stood among the myrtle trees. Now it's referring to that man as the angel of the Lord. So he's not just a man. He's the angel of the Lord, which in many cases in the Bible is not an angel, but is in reference to the Messiah. Several instances of that. I think with Gideon, it's called him the angel of the Lord that comes and speaks to Gideon. But then obviously, as the story continues on, it's the Lord who is speaking to him, the Messiah. And I think it's the same with, uh, with uh, Samson's parents and many other instances in the Bible where this comes and appears as the angel of the Lord, but is the Messiah himself. Now, sometimes the angel of the Lord is just this angel sent by the Lord. Because the word that's translated as angel is also translated in other parts of the Bible as messenger. So it can be a messenger from the Lord. And certainly the Messiah is a messenger of the Lord. And he also did come as a man. And we'll also see here in another verse, uh, another instance of where this is the Messiah. He is there among us. He's among the myrtle trees, sometimes on, hidden among the trees, down in a hollow, down in a low place. He came lowly. He came humbly. Sometimes, again, unassuming. Well, the devil is going to and fro throughout the earth, but God is there. He's on the scene. He's in control. He knows what's going on. And he will take care of you. Verse 12, And the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah, against which you have been angry or were angry these 70 years? So here you have this angel of the Lord, and he's praying to the yud heh vav he's praying to the Heavenly Father, he's praying to the Lord, all caps. And he's interceding. And that is, again, what we see the role of the man, the Messiah, has done on this earth. That he is our intercessor between God and man. And that's exactly what he's doing here in this verse, in this prayer. Lord, how long are you going to continue to not have mercy on Jerusalem? And he says 70 years. Now, it's been more than 70 years. It was 70 years from when we went into captivity until Cyrus said we can go back. And Cyrus said we can go back. And we're already four kings from Cyrus or three kings after Cyrus to the point where we're at now. So it's a few years. But still, that 70-year time period that you prophesied, 70 now plus, from when we, the temple was destroyed and it's still not rebuilt yet. How long will it continue this way? How long will you be angry? And the Lord answered to the angel who's talked with me, so now the one that's standing next to him, with good and comforting words. So the angel who spoke with me said to me, proclaim, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am zealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with great zeal. So God has good and comforting words for Jerusalem. God has good and comforting words for all of Zion. God has good and comforting words for you and for me. He speaks comfort. Even when he's proclaimed to be angry, he still has good and comforting words for us. He cares about us. He's zealous for us. He's on fire for us. He has a deep passion for us. And even when he's angry in the sense, it's not angry because we, we you know, he, he's, he's, his feelings were hurt and now he's going to get mad at us and revenge on us and, and be bitter towards us. His anger is more of a disappointment 
in that we have chosen a different God, that we have rejected his counsel. And so he's saddened, more sad than mad. He's sad that we have made a wrong choice and sad for us, not for him. He, he doesn't get insecure. It's not for him. So he's saddened that after prophet, after prophet, after prophet, warning after warning to do right, to live right, to, through Jeremiah, surrender to Babylon, to surrender to God. We refused, we resisted, didn't heed the warning. And in doing so, we went outside of God's will, so we went outside of God's protection, and we united ourselves, there's only two powers, we united ourselves listening to the devil, like Adam and Eve. When they chose to not listen to what God warned them of, chose to listen to the devil, they made the devil their God, followed him, and went out from God's righteousness, under God's protection, under God's covering, and went and then had to bear the results of their new, new leader, their new father, knew now good and evil, and thus had to be banished out of the Garden of Eden, and begin to suffer the results of death. Because they went outside of God's protection. And so God is sad, and so over these 70 years, but even through that, he is still zealous. He's still constantly wanting us to turn back. He's constantly wanting us to return to him. He, come, he came after Adam and Eve. And he's coming here, he sent prophet Daniel, Ezekiel, now Zechariah, and Hosea, other prophets he sent to draw us back to himself. Comforting good words. Even his rebukes are good, comforting words. The Bible says those who God disciplines, he loves. If he didn't care for us, if he didn't love us, he just let us go. But he gives these corrections to draw us back. And it's as a result of these 70 years that we did get back on track and we're living righteous lives for a number of years. The temple was rebuilt, the city was rebuilt, the sacrifices were reinstituted. I think 70 years, that's a long time, that's several generations. In that time period, living in Babylon, the Jerusalem is destroyed, the parents are gone, the grandparents are gone. So easy to forget the training that we had. So easy to go on and just to assimilate into the culture we're around. Babylon had plenty of gods, plenty to choose from. Choose whatever one you want. They're more victorious anyway. They destroyed our temple. They might be the real God. But for 70 years, God held up a remnant. He held a people group true to him. That's amazing. It's absolutely miraculous. Against all odds. And they remained faithful to a certain extent. And were able to come back. We're still there 70 years later, still trusting God, still wanting the temple to be rebuilt, still wanting the sacrifices to be reinstituted, still wanting the Messiah to be able to come to Jerusalem and to pay the, the ultimate sacrifice for us. And so even in God's correction, even in God allowing that 70 years, it worked for a longer, bigger purpose in his work. If it wasn't for that 70 years, if it wasn't for that time, if he would have just allowed us to continue in the false worships we were doing before Babylon came in and destroyed the city, 
might not have ever made it through. Might not ever have had a place where the Messiah could come. But God allowed the discipline to bring us back. And through that time, he has good and comforting words. So whether we're going through struggles, whether he's allowing us to experience problems, whether he's allowing us to learn lessons from our wrong choices, or whether we're going through a time of joy and peace and prosperity and peace and quiet, God has good and comforting words for you because he is zealous for you. He loves you with an everlasting love. He's on fire for you. Everything he does is for you. Not about himself. If it was about himself, he wouldn't send his son. If it was about himself, Yeshua would not have given himself for us. Who would go to be rejected and beaten and bear the sins of the world? He's zealous for us. He comforts us. He loves us. He has messengers coming, watching what's going on in our lives. He's in tune. Verse 15, I am exceedingly angry with the nations at ease, for I was a little angry at you, and they added to the affliction. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I am returning to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, says the Lord of hosts, and a surveyor's line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. So we left God's presence because of our sins. We left his, his umbrella under his protection. Babylon was able to come through and cause the destruction. But God here is saying, they went too far. I'm very angry with them. They did more than they should have. They went beyond the limits that I had wanted for them. You've been under a difficult time. And thus, I'm going to have even more mercy upon you. I'm going to care for you even more. David at times prayed and said, you know, maybe when God sees the affliction that I'm under, he'll have even more mercy on me. He'll have even more compassion on me. And so we've been through difficult times, and some people go through harder times on this earth than other people, it seems. At least on the surface, it certainly seems that way, and maybe in reality that is that way. We have different struggles, so it's hard to measure them out, but certainly to a human perspective, some troubles really sound much, much worse than some other people have experienced. But where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Where trouble abounds, God's love and help is there even more so. And we do that among ourselves, right? If you've got a 10-year-old child and a 1-year-old child and you're crossing the street, who are you going to help more across that street? Who are you going to carry across? Right? Who are you going to give more help to and more attention to? The one in more need. And so certainly God is sending more angels and more help to those who experience more difficulties on this earth. And he'll have more mercy in the judgment and more compassion and more kindness. And that's kind of what he's saying here. I'm very angry at those nations, and I will have mercy. I was angry a little bit, disappointed in what they had done, but not to that extent. Therefore, I am returning to Jerusalem with mercy. And thus he has mercy upon us. He's counted all the world under sin, that he might have mercy on all, that he might forgive us all, that he might die for the sins of everyone, equally. And I'm going to build my house, says the Lord of hosts. Thus he's measuring it out. 
He's in charge. He's determining what it's going to be. Measuring his house, he's going to build his house. God is building Jerusalem. Not just the physical building, and he did do that. That was accomplished. He used human means. Zerubbabel and Yeshua, son of Uzadak, built the physical building. He's building his house. He's building his temple. And again, we see we're still here. Thousands of years after Yeshua. Even more so from Zerubbabel's time and Zechariah's time. We're still here. From David's time, we're still here. From Moses' time, we're still here. From Adam and Eve's time, from Noah's time, we're still here. It's absolutely amazing. It's miraculous. God has sustained us. God has been building his work. God has been building his temple. God has been building his people. Year by year, day by day, century by century, God has been building up his work. And he'll continue to do so. He's got us this far at 6,000 years. You think he's going to take us to the end? He's running the marathon. He's all the way at the end. He can see the finish line. He's not going to stop now. He's going to carry us through. He's going to get us through to the end. Verse 17, again proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, My city shall again spread out through prosperity. The Lord will again comfort Zion and will again choose Jerusalem. He has chosen us. We are his chosen people. What does that mean, chosen people? He has chosen us. Does that make us better than anyone else? It's not just he chose us. We chose him. It's a mutual back and forth. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. He has chosen everyone. He's paid the price for everyone. He has chosen and designated everyone to be saved. And as we choose him back, he then gives us a mission and a purpose, and a plan, and a responsibility to go and to let other people know that God loves them, that God has good and comforting words for them, that God has paid the price for them, that there's a heaven awaiting them, that God is watching over them. He was a little angry, but he's having mercy now. He's called us to share his message with the world what he's chosen us to do. He's not chosen to put it on a pedestal somewhere, the boast. He's chosen us to do something. He's chosen us to be his representatives here on this earth. To go to and fro throughout the earth with his message. In verse 18, now it kind of shifts to another area, same topic, but kind of another different vision maybe. I raised my eyes and I looked and there were four horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these? And so he said, these are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. So four horns, reminiscent to the book of Daniel. Daniel already wrote his book prior to this. 
So four horns, horns mentioned in prophecy, horns representing nations, powers. So these are four horns that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. So those four horns could be representative of four nations in that time period. Babylon, the Assyrians, you know, various other ones right in that time period, or prior. But uh, many Bible commentators, Jewish commentators and others, interpret these as the four horns, just as Daniel had the four medals. God showed Daniel in Daniel chapter 2, four medals. Down from Daniel's day all the way to the end of time. And then in Daniel chapter 7, four beasts. From Daniel's day all the way down to the end of time. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome in all of its forms. In both of its forms. Down to the end of time. And I think that makes sense. So these four horns that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And I said, what are these coming to do? And so he said, these are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one could lift up his head, but the craftsmen are coming to terrify them, to cast out the horns of the nations that lifted up their horn against the land of Judah to scatter it. So yes, the devil has had these powers that have crushed and ruled and scattered and delayed and troubled God's people down through the ages. But God has craftsmen to come and wipe out their efforts and to build up God's work, right? Craftsmen, what do craftsmen do? They craft, they build, carpenters. And what was Yeshua's earthly father? A carpenter. Probably a mason that used more stone there in Israel at that time than, than wood, but maybe did some woodwork as well. Masonry and craftsmen building houses. No doubt Yeshua did that for a time as well. God sent a craftsman to defeat the work of the horns, to build up God's work, to build up God's kingdom. And again, that's the theme here. Are we going to build the temple? The temple was destroyed. This horn came and destroyed the temple. Yes, I'm sending craftsmen that are going to build the temple, that are going to build the kingdom. And all who come unto Yeshua are craftsmen with him. Again, he's given us a purpose. He's chosen us to build up to encourage one another, to build one another up, not to tear down, but to build each other up, to build up the work of the Lord, to build his temple here on earth and for eternity. He has sent craftsmen. He has sent the mighty, the craftsmen, the Messiah himself, and then he's called us to be craftsmen as well, skilled workers in his field. He comes and looks at this stone and he chiseled this off here and this part off here and he designs it and he makes it and he forms it so that it fits together with his other pieces that he has made to build up his temple. Like pruning the tree, cutting off what is not good, and grafting in what is good, producing fruit for his kingdom. And so he takes things out of our lives, shows us areas that are wrong, thoughts that are wrong, decisions that are wrong, theology that's wrong, actions that are wrong, and he cuts them out of our lives as we allow him, as we surrender, and he molds and he makes and corrects and builds us up so we can grow faithfully to him, grow strong and make a shade for others, producing fruit for his kingdom and being a blessing.
building up the work of the Lord. That's what he's called us to do. Called us to follow him, the master craftsman. To walk in his ways. To be blessed by him. And used by him. Tearing down the horns of this world, the evil of this world. And letting God's light shine. Building up the temple of the Lord. The house of the Lord. The people of the Lord. So some great assurances in this second part of this chapter. Wonderful messages, I believe, for us. And so, as we join together in prayer in a moment, if any area applies to you, maybe you've been feeling discouraged and God has these comforting words for you. Maybe you felt alone and distanced and that God's not hearing your prayers, God's not seeing your difficulties, God doesn't, you feel kind of isolated. Be assured that God has these horses, he's got his messengers going to and fro throughout the earth, keeping track of your life, keeping an eye on you, watching over you, helping you, ministering to you, heavenly angels, ministering angels, with love and compassion, working in our behalf. And again, at least two heavenly angels for every evil angel. We have his protection and his guidance. Secondly, if you've been worried or concerned about something, maybe it's, is God's work going to continue? How are we going to reach the world? At one time, we were bringing more people for the kingdom of God than people were born, being born. It looked possible we were able to reach the world with the gospel. Today, there are more people being born every day than we're bringing the gospel to. We're losing ground all the time. But God is in the miracle-working business. He used 11 people to take his gospel to the then-known world and added Paul onto it, 12. God can use us as well. He's going to do miraculous things, rapid things, marvelous ways if we allow him to use us. Surrender to him. So if you've been discouraged about that, know that God is building. God's going to finish his work more glorious than he started it, more powerfully than he started it. He's going to finish his work. Or maybe you've been discouraged, feeling God is angry at you. You've made some mistakes in your life. You feel condemned, self-condemned. The devil's been condemning you. You feel guilty. You feel desolate. Maybe it's been 70 years. You've been without the Lord, just coming back to him now or a forever period of time. And you feel guilty for the past. You feel remorse for the mistakes you made. God is having mercy on you. He has sent his son to die for you. His mercy is there. His deliverance is there. His care is there. He's recreating you. He's making all things new. The old is gone. The old is perished. The old man is buried away with him. And he's recreating a new heart in you, a new life in you, a new purpose in you. He's building up the temple of the Lord in you. you feel like you've been beaten down and troubled by enemies, by neighbors, by horns, by problems, by situations, by so-called friends, God is a craftsman assigned to you to build you up, to help you, to fit you a part of his kingdom, to make you part of his body, to make you part of his temple, to shine gloriously for him. 
so that his truth can be revealed in your life and together as a whole. Take comfort in that. And if God is calling you, he's calling each one of us. He's chosen each one of us to be craftsmen. Take a hold of the tools that he has for you, the gifts that he has for you, the talents that he has for you. Let him use us as tools in his toolbox in ministering to others, whether with words, with deeds, with actions, with emails, with posts, whatever God calls you to do in whatever shape, way, shape, or form to be used by him in building up his work, in building up his message, in ministering to the world. If any of those areas apply to you, or something else that God's been speaking to your heart and mind about, let's pray together and let God do his mighty work. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we are thankful for your love for us. We're thankful for your love for us, your watch care over us, for ministering to us, for never forgetting us, never forsaking us. Thank you that your anger is tempered with mercy, your disappointment covered with love. Thank you for embracing us. Thank you for not throwing us away, but recreating us and building us up. Work in us, mold us and make us, fashion us in your image, and use us as blessings in this world. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.